How you doing? I mean, so here's the thing, Marianne, that was awesome, but how do I follow that? Like, like, man, I mean, you basically gave the sermon that I was going to give. I could just say, everybody, go get some meals together. Let's go home. Oh, that was, re- that was really good. And I want to say thank you guys so much for, for devoting yourselves, your time, coming. Some of you are probably, who's, who's all, like, you're all in high school, right? Okay. So um, you're like ninth, 10th, 11th grade in there, and you're probably thinking, you know, what is this going to do for my life? Uh, but like Marianne was saying, and I, I want this to not just be for this group, I want this to be for our church. There's something that she hit on that we're going to talk about today, that we're going to get in depth with today. What she hit on, what she hit on was that, was that we are from these disparate places. We are from different states, different communities, different cities, and yet this morning, we got to be united in the spirit. You may, not, you may not pick up on this right now, but something spiritual happened and is happening now. The Holy Spirit is among us and is uniting us from people that are across different backgrounds, life circumstances, and we get to worship the same God in one spirit with one voice. Man, that's, that's, that's life, guys. That's what following Jesus is all about. We're going to hit on this in Acts 2.42, and the other passage is going to read. And I just want to start by just praying that God would move and speak through me and to hush and quiet the voice that's within me that wants to take over. All right, so bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray as well. Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you uh, for, this, for this group of, of followers, of believers that have come to be part of what's happening here, but that we also get to be a part of their experience in their lives. Thank you that we get to sit in this, in this gathering place together with whatever we've had going on through the week, and we get to bring that here, and we get to, to look at it through the lens of Scripture. We get to look at it through your lens so that you can show us how you are working in and through us. Jesus, I pray that you, you would be lifted, you would be glorified, and that everything else would be just quieted down. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Corey last week started on this series called Devoted. Acts 2.42 is the basis of where we're, go- we're coming from. And in this series, what we're going to be touching on is what it looks like to be the church that Jesus had in mind, to be the people who are gathered together, who are on mission with him that Jesus had in mind. And we see an example of this in the book of Acts. And what happened, just as a recap, is in the book of Acts, we see this gathering, this household of believers that have come together after the Holy Spirit has fallen. And these believers, they they get together and they decide, hey, you know what? There's something amazing going on. Just like what happened this morning and it's happening. There's something amazing that we can't deny is happening here. Even though we're hot, even though we're hungry, even though we don't know who is what or what's going on, somebody's speaking a different language, there's something that we need to do together. And these people, they get together and they share meals and they devote themselves 
to living a lifestyle that is different from the world in which they live. Catch that. The reason why this is significant is because they get to live a lifestyle, not an event. They get to live a lifestyle that is different from that which the world around them is living, and it sticks out. People around them are going, wait, what are you guys doing? Because that's weird, but it's cool. I kind of like it. Can I be part of it? And then they get to profess the name of Jesus and they get to talk about what Jesus has done and they bring it back and they say, this is what the gospel message is about. And so what I want us to do, stand up. I'm going to do this every time I preach, so please get used to it. Get the sleepies out of your system, get the heat off of you and just get ready to read the word. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Acts 2, 42. If you do not have your Bible with you, you will not be shamed. It's going to be up on the screen. You can look on your phone if you need to. We're going to read this together in unison as one. One, two, three, go. Yes. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Take a seat. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Last week's challenge was share a meal with someone you normally wouldn't share a meal with. Just, I'm not going to embarrass anyone or make anyone say anything, but just show of hands, who... Who followed through and like, had like a cool experience with that? All right, Sly and Sylvia, yes. Yes, okay. The challenge was to share a meal with someone you normally wouldn't share a meal with. And Corey talked about how this man, Cornelius, uh, was a follower of God, but he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He was somebody who was an outsider, but had started to believe in the power of what Jesus has done. And he had taken that as a part of how he lived. And Peter, this Jew, this righteous Jew, the leader of the church basically at that time, is at his friend's house, he's eating a meal, and, and God says to him, in a vision, take and eat. Gives him this whole buffet of stuff to eat. Now everybody loves buffets. Golden Corral exists for a reason. I still don't know why. Golden Corral, never mind, I'm not going there. But buffets exist for a reason. We love a variety of food. But this buffet was something that Peter would never eat. It was unclean foods. It was things that the Jewish tradition said, you can't have this because it will make you unclean. And so Peter wakes up from this after having this vision given to him three times in a row, wakes up from this, and he goes, what was that about? What was that about? But he trusts in Jesus, and he, he trusts in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, so he goes with it. And shortly thereafter, Cornelius comes to the house because he's been sent by God to meet him. And Cornelius says, hey, I want, I want you to come back to my house with me. This, un, this, this Gentile, this unclean person wants Peter, the cleanest of clean, to go to his house with him. And Peter's like, well, maybe that's why the vision happened. He goes to his house with him, and God reveals to him what he's doing, that the gospel message is for everyone, and that there's nothing that God makes clean that can, that can be unclean. God says, where you are and where you're coming from, I will make you clean. Yes. 
You don't get to decide what is clean. I get to decide what is clean. And it changes the entire trajectory of the church because all of a sudden, the gates are wide open. Everybody is welcome to worship. Everybody is welcome to fellowship. Which brings us to where we are today. Last week, we talked about sharing a meal. Peter and Cornelius shared a meal. We made the challenge. This week, we're going to fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. 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 Now, if you've grown up in church at all, that word has been thrown around like a rag doll in a puppy dog's mouth. Like, I, don't know, I couldn't think of a good analogy. I think it makes sense. Fellowship, right? You talk about fellowship. You hear, oh, we're having a fellowship dinner. Go to the fellowship hall. Oh, we're going to get together and have some fellowship. It's, it's a word that has lost a little bit of its meaning. It's a word that's been used so much that, that we kind of don't, take it seriously enough. It's, it's a word that has been typically a buzzword in the evangelical tradition, right? Just being real. It's something that you throw around when you want people to get together. It usually involves a potluck. No lie. Usually some good food. So, I mean, I like fellowship dinners. A potluck. And if it's here at Third Street, uh, you, uh, Nate's mom's, Mama Rita's food, you can fellowship anytime with Mama Rita's cooking. It's usually a scheduled event, and it usually has a start and stop time, right? Well, we're going to fellowship together, and then we'll be done fellowshipping, and we'll go back to our lives, right? Fellowship, in this passage in Acts 2.42, the word for fellowship is koinonia. Somebody say koinonia. Koinonia. And this word literally means a close, Mutual relationship and participation in life together. Now, does that sound like the definition of fellowship that I just know? That is a, an event, which is okay. It's a vehicle, but it is not the end. A close mutual relationship and participation in life together. So it's more than a, co- a casual acquaintance. It's more than just like, hey, how you doing? Duh, duh, duh. It's a close, mutual relationship and participation in life together. When's the last time, as being part of the church, you felt like you had a close, mutual relationship and you had someone participating in your life together? I'll say for me personally, I, f- I feel that pretty frequently because we get to experience some of that fellowship here at Third Street. We get people probably today who'll come over for lunch. We don't know what we're having but they'll be there. And we're going we're gonna to share in a meal together. We're going to lo- talk about each other's lives. Corey and Rachel experience that on the daily. They've got random people living at their house. Do you know who's there this week? I don't know, but they're there. They're participating in their lives together. It's close. It's mutual. It's something that's not an event. It's a lifestyle. And regardless of differences. This is the part where Marianne was talking this morning. Regardless of the differences of the individuals, you have a oneness of mind towards the same purpose. Now, for me, one of the things that I've been able to experience, I've been blessed with experiencing, is growing up in a home in which my parents valued, they valued the church. 
but they valued what happened outside of the church even more. And I didn't realize this time growing up, I hated it. I was very resistant. I was like, why do we always have to have people over, always talking to these random adults? Like, why does, why does our life need to be encroached with these people? I don't know. But they would have tea all the time. They would have meals. My mom would be in the kitchen constantly. She still is. She would have people in our house. And right now, even as their house is in, they're moving, they're packing up boxes. And they're, they've got stuff everywhere. Even right now, they still have people over to share in meals together and share in their life together. One of the things I was able to experience was that closeness and mutual relationship. The reason why we experienced that was because my parents were following a direct command, a direct prayer that we see in John 17. And we're going to have that up on the screen. See, Jesus understood this concept of fellowship. Jesus and his disciples, they lived together for like for three years. They were always with each other. In fact, there were some times that Jesus actually had to get away from his disciples. Like, guys, yeah, give me some space. I need some time with the Father, right? And there's a place for that, right? There's an there's a absolute need for that. That's the example. But Jesus and the disciples spent so much time together, they became like family. And so in John 17, we see Jesus praying for his disciples. And he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you Father and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. One of my, um, one of my mentors, he doesn't know he's my mentor. It's one of those relationships. His name is Francis Chan. He doesn't know he's my mentor. What? He may know, he may know someday. He doesn't know now. One of my mentors, Francis Chan, he tells this story of, um, of, of, of having a, a, a known gangbanger come to his church. This guy comes to his church, he's converted, he's on fire, he's like completely just like sold out, he's left the gang life and he's all in for Jesus. And he comes in and he's like, man, I, I, I want to be baptized. I want to be part of this community. I want to experience this life. I want to be part of you. And he comes in, he gets baptized, and he starts coming to church, goes to Sunday service, goes to Wednesday service, goes to Wednesday night service. And then he stops coming. He doesn't come as frequently. Drops off a little bit. And one time, one of the pastors comes up to, to, to this guy and he says, hey, Notice that you weren't coming. You weren't, you're not, you're not, haven't been at church. What's going on? Are you doing okay? And he goes, man, you know, when I left the gang life, you know, when I, when I got initiated into the gang life, I got jumped, right? I mean, they, they jumped me. They, they, they beat me up. But then, like, immediately after I got jumped, they had my back. We were together all the time. It was nonstop. Like, anything that I needed, they were there because I was one of them. Like, I felt like I was part of family. And you'll hear a lot of gangers, a lot of gangbangers talk about like, yeah, hey, I, I felt like I was part of a family. That's part of, part of gangs' uh, little predatory mentalities to go after people who need to have a family. And so they initiate them and they make them feel like part of a family. So that's like, that's like 
that's like the devil's way of taking this concept of fellowship and saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make this, we're going to pervert this to make it right. But this guy felt like that. He had that same concept of family. And he, he told the pastor, he goes, hey, you know, when I got baptized, I fully expected that once I got baptized, like it was going to be kind of like the gangs where, where my, if I needed something, somebody would be there. My life was invested in. People would be there. They would have my back. But I didn't, you know, I had it wrong in my mind. I, I guess I didn't realize that it was only on Sundays and Wednesdays. And Francis said, no, like, you, you didn't have it wrong. We have it wrong. Like, like we, should, we should have that kind of together nest with us all the time. We should have that kind of connection because we are one in spirit. It's not just about a membership. It's not just about a title. It's about receiving the Holy Spirit in you so that you are willing to share your life constantly. And so the question that I have at this point is, have you invested in close mutual relationships? Are you participating? Are you getting up in someone's life? Are you letting people get in your life? Are you experiencing spiritual fellowship? Because that's what the church should be. That's what we should be doing at Third Street. You should feel a little bit uncomfortable because of how much we get in your life. You should be like Jesus was like, hey, I need some space with God. Like, I need to not be with you for a second. I need to go to the Father, be filled up so that I got time for all your issues. And grace. Have you made an effort to invite people to your home? Have you made an effort to invite people into your hobbies? Have you accepted an invitation into doing life with someone because it's a two-way street. You invite someone to come to your home or you invite someone to come into your life. You're like, hey, I want to do life together. Let's, let's do this. You send an invite, they send an invite. It doesn't have to be a Facebook invite. It can be personal. You go up and talk to someone face-to-face. -face. I prefer it that way. Fellowship is not an event. It is constant. It is a lifestyle. Second point, fellowship is sacrificial. It's not selfish. So the passage we're going to go to um, from Acts 2.42, we're going to jump to Acts 4.32. It'll be up on the screen. And this says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection <clears throat> of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So everybody has this thing where, you know, you have something in your life that you're like, man, I give up everything, but but I, I can't give that up. Like that thing, what is it? It's there, it's on your mind, I see it. Some of you, I see you going, ooh, if he asked me right now to like give that up, I would freak out. Or I would sink in my seat or I would just get up and leave, like I gotta go to the bathroom. Everybody's got something. Is it your car? Is it jewelry? 
You're like, no, I'm not that material. Is it your special time? Private time? Is it your clothes? A pair of shoes? Pairs of shoes? Your phone? Uh-oh. Oh, everybody's, oh, yeah. What if you had to go back to a flip phone for the sake of the kingdom? Come on now, somebody. Flip phone. No? Okay. How about your house? What if you had to open your home for someone to come live in it and encroach your space? What would it look like if we lived life like Acts 4, 32, where all the believers did not take things as their own, but they understood that what they had was in fact God's to begin with. It's a challenging passage, man. I'll give you that. It, it really is. But I have been able to experience, <laughs> we, my wife and I, have been able to experience this grace time and time again. Matter of fact, at Love Canton, when we were at Love Canton, the church we were at before this, it was kind of a send out, Court and Rachel part of that as well. When we were at Love Canton, we were going through kind of a little bit of a, it was a difficult financial season. I had student loans, she had student loans, just had, um, you know, a baby, baby had some medical issues, all that kind of stuff. There was all this stuff that was going on. And I remember just randomly saying in just a, a fellowship gathering, we were together eating food, talking about something. And I remember saying, yeah, man, it's just like, it's kind of tough right now, but I know we're going to make it. We're just praying that God will provide and it'll be all good. And then like a week later, two of, uh, two of the most awesome people in the world, I'm going to call them out, Joe and Mandy Cotaspoti. They told us never to share this. I got to put it out there because it was that powerful, and that impactful, that meaning, meaningful to me. They came to our house, unannounced, knocked on the door. Actually, they texted before. Hey, are you guys home? They came to our house inside. And they sat down. They said, hey, we heard you. We've been praying about it. God's given us a little bit of surplus. We want to bless you because you guys, you're part of our family. No, no, don't do that. Like, we'll be, like it's all good. Like, no, like, guys, you don't need to. Like, you guys have kids and this and that and ah, I seen, I've seen the car you drive Joe like that's a joke and they were like no like this is this is part of being the church this is part of being family we get to provide out of our surplus we get to to share with those who are in need they were living Acts 4 32 and so we were able to experience that, and I saw in that moment that they realized that the money that God had blessed them with, whatever that amount was, that they realized that that wasn't theirs, it actually was God's, and that their job was to ask God, how would you have me use these funds? How would you have me use the money, the resources, the gifts that you've given me to bless the body? What has God blessed you with that maybe you may be overlooking? You may be like, that's not that much. That's not, I can't give that. That's not that. What have you, have you prayed about it? When's the last time you prayed, God help me to use my finances for the sake of fellowship? 
God, help me to use my home for the sake of fellowship. God, help me to use my car for the sake of fellowship. Let God use that discomfort that's in you right now about that thing. I don't know what it is. He does. You do. What is that thing? Let him use that discomfort. Ask him to show you how you can love the body the way that he would have you love each other. One scholar commentated like this. He said, they traded in their affection for things of the world for the affection of Christ. They expected to have less and less attraction to material things and more affection to Christ. And that made it easier for them to say, yeah, of course, like it's not mine. And I know he'll provide another way. So yeah, there's a need there, here you go. That's what we are striving for. Corey and Rachel, I'm gonna call you guys out again. Man, like you guys share your lives to a really uncomfortable degree. I just got to say that. I'm just saying, like for somebody, for somebody who watches your lives, I'm like, man, they really have a lot of people in their home, in their lives all the time. Like, it's awesome. It's inspiring. Like, it, it makes, oh, man, like that's what we need to do. And guess what, guys? Corey and Rachel are not like, they're, no offense, they're not like that special, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they're special to us. We all, come on, y'all know what I mean. I love Corey. I love Rachel. But there's no, specific, there's no special designation on Corey and Rachel that says, you are holy, you are holy. You get to do this amazing thing in your home and, and host people and have people in your lives. They're just obeying the gospel. They're just obeying scriptures. They're living out what's in scripture. And I'm seeing other couples, other families in this church do that. But I encourage you, do it more. Because that's what our church is about. That will be the proof to the world around us that there's something different, something special about this thing called following Jesus. It's more than just a religious gathering. It's more than just a Sunday, Wednesday, once a week gathering. It is a lifestyle that that makes you uncomfortable sometimes, but has life associated with it. Man, I want to live like that. You guys are doing awesome. You're a great example. I just want to... I'll just put that up for, for you guys. I know you don't want it. I know you don't want it. I just got to say. Which brings me to my last point. Fellowship is proof. Fellowship is proof. The first one was fellowship is constant. It's not an event. Second one was fellowship is sacrificial. It's not selfish. Last point, fellowship is proof. So right now in America... The church is not that popular. Going to church is at an all-time low, right? The, the concept or the idea, you know, most people, they do these polls. And the most recent polls kind of show that uh, 35% of millennials uh, say that they believe in, in God. About 17 to 20% of, of people say that they attend church somewhat regularly. And I'm willing to bet that percentage is, is lower. So we're at a time in which the American church has lost some credibility. And the reason is because we've... We've, we've not held true to this concept of fellowship. We have not held true to this idea of community. What we've done is we've taken American ideas, we've taken capitalistic ideas, we've taken individualistic ideas, we have made them part of what we do in church so that we separate out what happens during the week and what happens on Sunday. This is my religious and churchy box. This is my world box. This is what I get to do when I want, how I want it, and, and whenever I want it. And we have 
separated it in such a way that people don't even see any kind of light. They don't see any difference. And I'm not saying this to to blast you guys. I'm speaking to myself. I'm preaching to myself here. We have got to do a better job, not of doing and striving. We've got to get deeper in with Jesus. We've got to get deeper in with the Holy Spirit. We've got to allow him to transform us so that we can reach out into the lives of the brothers and sisters around us and say, come into my life. I want to get into your life. What's going on with you? Can I come over and have coffee? Can I come over and have tea? Can we have a meal together? Hey, I've got this need. Brother, sister, can you meet this need? You've got this need. You know what? I just, I just happen to have this resource. It takes being a little bit vulnerable. It takes being a little bit courageous to step into each other's lives constantly as a lifestyle. And when America sees a church that is built on that kind of community, it will transform this entire nation. I'm telling you, that is the vision Unite, Renew, Restore. It's not just a tagline, it is a lifestyle. And we hope that our church gets to do that, but it has to start with that connection with the Holy Spirit and that willingness to be transformed and asking God to make you live like this church, like the people in Acts 2, like the church in Acts 4, where they had an understanding that what God provides you with, it's not yours. Your life is not even your own. The resources that God gifts you with, they are for His glory, for His purposes. To gather people together, to share each other's lives, to have fellowship together. The church is not just a building, y'all. The church is not a building. The church are the believers inside of the building right now now. that are willing to let their lives reflect the gospel. So how do we do this? You're thinking, oh man, you're throwing a lot. What, how do I, where do I go? Real simple, we're gonna finish up here. At Third Street, we have vehicles. They're called parks. If you look on the website, thirdstreetchurch.com, PARC stands for People Anointed Running Kingdom Spaces. There are vehicles for people to plug into and say, hey, you know what, I don't know how to do this, but I want to be part of a group of people that want to do this. And so you can, you can go there and, and look up the information and try to be part of it. You can come up and talk to us about how to be part of one of these parks. And you know what, if you look there and you're like, you know what, I just don't connect with any of these, guess what? Invite a group of people over to your home, share a meal, Pray over that meal and learn about each other's lives. You have the beginnings of a park. Simple. This is not rocket science, but it it does require some obedience to the Holy Spirit. So, what I want to finish with is that we have a unique opportunity. Our church has a unique opportunity West Virginia group, you guys have a unique opportunity. You have a chance to go back to your community, back to your church that, man, maybe they, they need to experience what that fellowship looks like. It sounds like it's structural. We've done this thing in American church. We've made everything very structured, which has taken away some of that relationship. Go back, change that. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Go back and change that. Third Street, we have a unique opportunity 
to change our circumstances here, not just in the church, but in our communities. Go back to your neighborhood. Pray for the love of God. Pray. Literally, for the love of God, pray. Pray about everything. Pray about your neighbor. Pray about the meal that's coming in front of you. Pray about that interaction that you're scared to have. Pray because you're trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide you. And as he guides you, he'll ref reflect you back on scripture. You say, oh, that's what that was for. I read the scripture like two weeks ago. I didn't know what it was for. Thank you, Jesus. Now I can move in confidence. Pray. And as you pray, God will reveal his purposes and his plans for your life, for our church, for this kingdom thing that we're trying to do. And I believe that our church will grow numerically, not just here. I'm talking about like exponentially, spiritually, in your neighborhoods. You'll have house churches wherever you are. And people will come to know Jesus because of you guys, not because of us.